Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of CBIA's BizCast. I'm Shannon King. This episode is perfect timing. We recently had our first ever virtual Connecticut Business Day this past Tuesday. And even though we couldn't be together in person, Governor Ned Lamont and a group of bipartisan state legislators joined us to talk about how they're planning to rebuild Connecticut. There's thousands of pieces of legislation being debated and considered so far this legislative session, uh, some of which that could negatively impact small businesses that are doing their best to recover from the pandemic. My guest today is Molly Kellogg, president and CEO of Hubbard Hall, located in Waterbury. At our Business Day event last year, Molly stood up and asked Governor Ned Lamont, why should I invest here in Connecticut? Here we are a year later, and I asked her if she's still wondering that question. We also discussed how she's been leading the chemical manufacturer, why it's important to stay connected to the community, and how the state can support business investment and expansion here. As always, please rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to check out this video podcast on YouTube. And with that, here's my conversation with Molly. To start, so I want to go back to almost exactly one year ago um, at our 2020 Connecticut Business Day event at the State Capitol in Hartford in a crowded room. (laughs) Imagine that. Um, You stood up and you asked Governor Ned Lamont, why should I invest in Connecticut? Um, Quote, I'll I'll quote you, um, I have six generations of family members here in Connecticut, so I'll do what I can to do to invest here, but I need your help. So here we are a year later. Um, Has your attitude and your outlook, have they changed at all over the last year? I'm going to guess probably, but um, just talk about, reflect on that and where we are a year later. Well, for that particular question, I'd say my my need for an answer on that particular issue got sidetracked by a much larger national emergency. And um, if I go back and look at where we are today, faced with the same questions, literally a year later, where do we invest? Where do we invest in Connecticut? Where do we invest in South Carolina? I don't have necessarily different answers than I did a year ago, uh, because we still have some structural issues with Connecticut uh, in terms of what makes it a favorable or unfavorable place to invest. That being said, having watched the governor's performance over the last year in handling the pandemic, I thought he did a really, really good job. Um, so if I take that and apply it to how we can build business in Connecticut going forward, if that can do pragmatic approach continues, then, then I've got hope. Um, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cause you were talking about maybe specifically, it was a long time ago, but you were talking specifically about um, certain bills. We were talking about certain legislation that is, was not necessarily business friendly or for, you know, for businesses to grow and invest in Connecticut. So of course the legislation stopped last year, so not a lot was passed, but um, moving forward, what are you looking for to come from the legislature and, you know, the governor in terms of policy? Like where, where does Connecticut need to go to grow? Um, That's a good question. I don't have tons of specifics on that because I've been focused on keeping the business running and and just starting now to look back. Actually, it's a good good time to ask the question what's happening in Connecticut and what's happening nationally. But um, as much as possible, let us run our businesses, let us build our businesses and, and 
where possible, avoid adding another, um, I don't know, another requirement on top of it. It simply adds cost without being really clear about the benefit that it adds. And, you know, I'm unlike a lot of other people in, in my business, I'm a Democrat. I believe in creating a great and strong society and, and giving community safety nets. At the same time, it can over time just erode um, the ability to do business and be competitive. And so with Connecticut, right? So where we are, if we can, if we can take some stuff away to help us do business to in a less um, tax owner's point of view, great. I see some of this stuff coming through the legislature, just smaller things, but you know, is it gonna add costs without adding um, commensurate benefit? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the reason why I reached out to you at first um, is there was a recent profile written about you in Finishing and Coding Magazine, which was just a great, a great article. Um, but it was sort of the epitome of women in manufacturing. So in the photos, um, you're wearing this bubblegum pink skirt while standing on the shop floor. I, it was just, it made me smile. Um, so in, in the article, you repeated your life mantra, which is be candid, curious, and courageous. So how have you emulated that over the past year? And how are you going to continue to emulate that? Well, that's a great question, Shannon. I think that's been, it's not only my motto, it's the foundation of the culture of our company and thinking about how we want to do business and how we want to interact with one another. And start with candor, because if you can't have an honest conversation with somebody or conversely, if uh, you're having multiple conversations, one public one and then a private one, I think that erodes trust and then slows down what you can get done. So if our ability to survive through the pandemic and, and we did fine, I think was largely due because of this culture that we've had where, okay, we're gonna talk about everything. We're gonna talk about what we know, what we don't know, and and just try to go through that and be courageous. We have to make some decisions and we'll be public about them in terms of how we're gonna work, what we know, we don't know. And then frankly, if things don't work, we'll admit responsibility and, and take a different course. But I think those characteristics, they're important for any leader. And I, I'm just, I feel lucky that we had spent a lot of time in our company talking about that pre-pandemic. So once a crisis hit, we didn't have to go figure out if we could trust one another, if we understood where communication was going to come from, but we could just start moving forward. So that's really interesting. So the next thing I was going to ask you is how you lead Hubbard Hall. So that that mantra is not only your mantra, but it's the mantra of the company and of the culture. So um, what is important to you about being a female leader of a manufacturing company with with this mantra in mind? Okay, so at the risk of, of getting cut out of the interview, nothing about being a female leader. Like that's one of the things I know I get publicity because I'm a woman in a male dominated industry and then play hockey, although I'm, I'm sidelined right now. <laughs> um, so that, that leads to what's it like to be a woman in an in industry. And I think the better question should be, what's it like to lead in a time of pandemic? What's it, what does modern leadership require? I, I just did a survey. I think it was, it was a random survey from Harvard about what does it take to lead 
in terms of a digital transformation? And that's the question that's really interesting because are the, the characteristics you need to lead when technology is rapidly changing the workforce any different than the, the leadership characteristics we needed two or three years ago? And actually I'd say, no, they're, they're pretty much the same other than maybe have a better, a better um, familiarity with ambiguity, right? Being able to dive into things that where the answer isn't entirely clear. But again, I think that's, that's always been a foundation of, of good leadership, the ability to deal with gray, make your best decisions going forward and, um, and then alter. So, so leadership has always, obviously it's always been really important to you and it's a, it's a skill and it takes a long time to develop. So um, did you feel prepared for when the pandemic hit? Did you say, you know, this is a challenge that uh, I don't think anyone in the last hundred years has had to deal with, but I feel ready. Um, or did you learn new things about leadership or yourself over the past year? Both, I'd say the short answer is I felt prepared. A little bit of history as we've been as a company that's 172 years old. We've actually been through a pandemic before. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wasn't there for it, but it, you know, it impacted the company. So I, I felt prepared. And now I'll go into what is typically considered female leadership, which is natural empathy, which is natural, call it power sharing, which is natural, um, I don't know, being humble and genuine. I think that is typically how women interact. And so I came equipped with that. And in a time of crisis, everybody's talking now, the new leaders got to be empathetic, the new leaders have got to be this and that. And I was interviewed for something else recently. And I said, it's, it's hilarious, because people are writing books about stuff that I think women have done instinctively for a long time. So um, I felt prepared and, and also supported by incredible leadership team here in, in Connecticut. Yeah, certainly. Amen to that. Um, so going to Hubbard Hall, so Hubbard Hall, we were just talking about how it's experienced a pandemic before. Um, so uh, Hubbard Hall has roots in Waterbury. So if I read this correctly, it began in um, the 1840s as a drugstore, and then it evolved into developing industrial uh, chemicals. So um, is it important to you um, for your business and other business owners to be involved in the community. Um, so even if a business has, hasn't been there as long as Hubbard Hall has been, um, why is it important for businesses to stay involved in the community and be a part of that fabric of the community? Yeah, it's one of the most powerful lessons I got from my father who was CEO for a long time. And um, <laughs> a long time ago, we, we've been a big supporter of the United Way of Greater Waterbury and probably 10 years ago, when the annual report was published and it said who had given what. And I think my name was down. I'd given maybe like 50 bucks and he circled it and he left it on my desk with a little sticky note and saying, can't you do better than that? <laughs> and um, because, because he believes and I, and I understand that we have a, an obligation to give back to the communities that we operate in. And, and that's uh, was a powerful lesson for me. And I think as a company, we have always given back because if we can't, just take from our communities and we have to help build them and strengthen them. So we go out of our way to support with, you know, certainly with dollars that matter. We try to um, volunteer into the communities or we did before when we could. Um, and it's absolutely our obligation. Taking that 
so the next step for it, a next step that I'm looking at right now, I just got involved with the Next Generation Manufacturing Partnership. So it's a way of looking, Kathy Awad is running this with a pretty remarkable group of leaders around the area, looking at, okay, how do we give back to our community, not just in terms of dollars, but let's start thinking about how do we bring more business and industry for our perspective? How do we bring manufacturing into Connecticut? What do we need? So taking a long view of, um, initiatives that need to start so that we can do that, so that we're continually building uh, building our communities. Yeah, that's really great to hear. I That's funny. It was a little bit of shame then on your dad's part. Like, you could do better than this. Yeah, and it absolutely was. And it was subtle, which was good because I'm such a contrarian. I might have you know responded differently, but it made me think of the generations that have preceded me and they led by example and they gave back in a tremendous way uh, my father, my grandfather, um, to Waterbury, but we need uh, we need strong communities, and and whether that's a food pantry, whether that's the Mattatech Museum, we've been we've been supporting, and then hopefully in the future, how do we create more jobs? We're in this great position as a company to help do that and to provide leadership. If you think back to one other, or I think about our. I hate to call it a vision because I don't have one of those. And I think that word really makes me nudgy. But I had to answer this question a while ago. Uh, why do we exist as a company? And it's different when we're your privately held business. I mean, my goal is to get it on to generation number seven, hopefully. So why do we exist? And at the core, for me, we exist to expand possibilities and start with our team here. So I hope that anyone who works at this company is better off for working at Hubbard Hall than somewhere else and our customers. And then third is our communities. And so we have to give back in a way that expands possibilities for everybody. And that gets me out of bed in the morning more than thinking, okay, if I sell another drum of caustic soda, yeah, that's another, probably only about six cents in my pocket, but <laughs> it's not much. Um, so moving forward, uh, here we are a year later after the pandemic, it's March of 2021, you know, knock on wood, crossing our fingers and our toes. I mean, what is your outlook for 2021 and even next year? Well, from a purely business point of view, I actually think it's gonna be challenging despite having perhaps a robust economy to sell into. So any indicators that I read about say that the economy is gonna be strong this year, including manufacturing and can't quite figure out why, but so it is. And I think we'll have a lot of demand at the same time, what we've seen, and I don't know if you're seeing it also, is this, it's a pretty steady um, drumbeat of inflation, if you will. So gas prices are up, wood is up, every little thing around doing business, the costs have gone up. So we could have a strong year in terms of sales. I think we'll be challenged from a profitability point of view if we're not super, uh, super careful about uh, watching our expenses. The exciting part of what's of the you know business the next year or two or three years is everything's changed. So companies that we used to sell into that did X maybe do Y and we've got to figure out then how to pivot again, right? So if we started as a drugstore, then we sold fertilizers, industrial chemicals, what's the next type of manufacturing that's coming here in the Northeast around the world that we can figure out how to help those manufacturers and it's, it's completely changed. Um, so I think it's, it's exciting, but it'll be as challenging this year as it was last year. Okay, that's good to know. Everyone, everyone that I've talked to on the podcast seems very optimistic, like 
you know, this past year has been a challenge. So we're, we're ready for any, any more challenges that are coming up. So that's sort of the, the same sort of sense I get. So it's, it's cautious optimism. Yeah. Um, cautious optimism. Right. So I think the business, strong business environment will be there. Can we operate, you know, really, really well and uh, make, you know, make the right investments so that we can, we can thrive because we've been, you know, everyone's been in a little bit steady state. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the last question I have for you is what is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now as a business owner? It's probably finding, it's identifying the right jobs and then finding the right skill set to match. And, and those, just like our customer base may be changing, the jobs are changing uh, inside our company. So as we look at, thank goodness we started digital before the pandemic, that helped us. But you know, even if you look at say customer service, where we're trying to hire right now, it's different. It's not just picking up the phone and taking an order. Customer service may be operating chat on a website or it could be working with a portal. So trying for us as a business to identify what those jobs are of the future and then match those skill sets. Um, and then frankly, looking for a diverse diverse group of employees to bring in. It's um, we advertise for jobs and we're not getting the kind of diversity that I'd like to see in the company. So that's another thing. How do we, how do I as a leader, not we, but how do I reach out into communities that may not know of us so that we can, as we have new jobs, get a, a more diverse works, workforce. Yeah. So workforce development is a, a big issue for you. Huge. Yeah, huge. And that's what I hear from almost every single manufacturer that I yeah. talk to here on the podcast every single week. It's workforce development. It's my biggest thing. It's the one thing that keeps me up at night. Um, so diversity of workforce, um, what does that entail of background, age, race? We've got, we got the gender thing figured out. <laughs> We've got a fairly got a female leadership, but um, I think just as we need to give back to our communities, we need to reflect the communities that we operate in and we don't. Um, so whether it's here in Waterbury, we have a facility in South Carolina, we've got a lot of people who look like me. And I think and I was very uh, moved to be an understatement by the murder of George Floyd. And it made me rethink my own um, limitations and realize that I've got to be proactive about creating a diverse workforce. And some of that, frankly, is, is self-serving, right? Because any business study tells you the more diverse your workforce is, whether it's gender, race, religion, you just have better outcomes because you've got more collaborative, collaborative and, and uh, creative work environment. And that's, to me, that's fun. So I'm trying to trying to find that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. So workforce development and diversity of that workforce is, is really key for you. Absolutely. Yep. And back to managing costs, right? So, so if I go back to, if I ever get a chance to talk to the governor again, <laughs> you know, I think our sales are going to be strong, but if, if my costs go up faster than my, uh, than my sales, then we're going to be we're going to be in a world of hurt. And, well, okay. Well, so uh, we're recording this a, a day before our uh, business day event, which is tomorrow. Um, and it's all virtual, of course. But um, so I don't know if you're going to get the chance to stand up and, or raise your hand during this event. But um, if you could, I mean, what, what would your question to the governor or any of the legislative uh, leaders be if, you, if we were in person tomorrow? 
You know, Shannon, I would ask the same question I asked last year, and it because I'm on the cusp. We've got to reinvest capital into our business. We've got to spend five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, into our next generation of manufacturing, and prove to me that it makes sense to do it here in Connecticut versus in South Carolina, where we have redundant operations. And I'm very loyal to the Waterbury area, given our history here. And I need the the legislature. I need the governor um, and his economic development team, which is excellent, by the way, to help say, okay, yeah, we'll, we, we'll prove to you that a million dollars invested in Connecticut is gonna be better than a million dollars invested in South Carolina. And that's, that's what you should do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those were all the questions I had. Do, do you wanna add anything else that I can throw into the interview? I don't know. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, we're, we're struggling with in some ways, I look back at the pandemic and I you know, wonder if the governor or any leader found that in some ways it's easy to lead in a crisis because everything is, it really clarifies what needs to be done. And the, you know, the, the important Trump's, maybe not the urgent, but there's a great clarity and there's, so there's a great, um, I don't know, there's a positive to leading in a crisis. And now as things normalize again, maybe I worry about scope creep or maybe we won't be so bold in making the decisions that we did that helped us through the pandemic. So it's an interesting, it'd be an interesting time to come out, come out of it. And, and hopefully we do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're there. You just got your first shot. So we're, we're getting there. It's coming. The warm weather is coming. The more vaccines are rolling out. So we're getting there slowly, but, um, so Molly, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, and, uh, Stay in touch for sure. Let us know how things are going later this year. No, my pleasure, Shannon. Thanks for the great work that CBIA does. I know they're an advocate for businesses in the state and, and for the state to thrive, we obviously need a strong business community and, and the work you guys do is really important. For the latest Connecticut business news, events, and resources, visit cbia.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on LinkedIn and Facebook. Call us anytime at 860 244 1900. Stay safe out there.